This morning we're going to be talking about the second word of five that God has given us. The first word we preached last week, I really believe these are words from the Lord for our church in these last days. So last week the word was joy, joy. We're going to touch on that in a minute too. And today I want to talk about gathering. So where did we get these words? We got them from Nehemiah. As people came out of Babylon and uh, they came out, and, um, and not all of them. Listen, not everyone's going to get in this. It's a remnant. Not every church is catching this. In fact, I don't know that everybody in our church is catching it. Some of them are waiting for me to get through this series so they can have, you know, fun again with something. But we, we get, listen, we're the remnant. How many want to be part of the remnant? There, there's something special there. Listen, we talk about the unity of the church. People say, oh, the church will never be united. How all these different denominations and all these lukewarm. No, no, no. They're not, they're not part of the unity. The unity is going to come in the remnant. And you're going to find remnants in every church, and we're going to instantly connect with. Uh, more on that later. I, I want to get into the other three or four words, and I've got to quit that. Uh, uh, but listen, we, listen, we are in a great darkness, but at the same time, a great revival, a great revival is forming. There's two storms forming. One's not good. One is really good. But listen what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10. I've quoted this scripture many times. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But he says, especially, right? Therefore, brethren, having what? boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What's he talking about there? He's talking about coming together like this and worshiping God. Amen. You know, you know I'm, I'm talking about the word today is gathering, and it, isn't it just like the devil to send cold weather and a storm? On the day I'm going to preach on commitment to church attendance, You couldn't have had that blood of Jesus. Uh-huh. Next verse. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a... He didn't say you. He said us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Mm -hmm. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. By the way, there's seven words here I want to point out, so watch for them. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Did you know you're called to stir up love and good works? Not just gripe when you're not getting it. It's going to be one of those mornings. I... And here's the key verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. <sighs> Gather. As is the manner of some, present company excluded, but exhorting one another, preaching to each other, and so much the more 
as you see the day, capital D, is anybody seeing the day approaching? Are people coming to church more often or less often? Have you all noticed? How many old-timers remember you were faithful when you came to church three times a week? That was considered faithful. Do you all remember that? And, of course, we got legalistic about it, and if you didn't come, you're like, well, where were you? You know, we got ugly about it sometimes. But, but, but three times a week. Now, if you attend three times a month, you're really, you're really faithful. In fact, the national average now is 1.6 times per month. That's the national average. And people say we're Christians, but we don't assemble. Well, we don't have to go to church to get saved. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to be part of the family reunion to be in the family. But if you don't come to reunions and you don't show up at events and you're not there at the funerals, and, the, and you know what that means? That means you have a dysfunctional family. You're still family, but you're dysfunctional. You might still be saved out there worshiping, you know, being a tree hugger. I just worship God in the woods. Well, you could do that, but what about family? So you're part of the family. People say, well, I just don't go to church. I say, well, aren't you my brother and my sister? Well, isn't God our father? He's not just your daddy. He's my daddy, too. That makes us brothers and sisters, so where have you been? So I'm saved. That's all I care about. Yeah, but you, you were dysfunctional. So look at these seven words. This could be a seven-part series right here. So I'm going to behave myself. I think they got them on the screen. But from that Hebrews passage, here are the seven words I saw. He says, first of all, enter. There's something you have to come into. It's not about just getting saved. It's about entering into an assembly of believers, a family. Can I get an amen? The second word, he says, is submit. Amen. You can't just do your own thing. You need to realize what the vision of the house is and submit. Submit. Vision of the house. I know it's a dirty word. It's not four letters, but it's a dirty word. Submit. Submission. Nobody wants to talk about that. But it's not a dirty word. Submission. It's just uh, we agree that everybody in the house has a mission, but if you're part of this house, you need to put your mission under the mission of the house. That's called submission. That means I'm not just going to do my own thing, but I'm going to submit. We're going to work on, we're going to do this together. We're not individual silos. Oh, I could preach this all day long. Number three, the third word is cleanse. We need to come into the house of God with clean hands. Amen. Uh, I preached a sermon once on why we raise our hands. There's a lot of good reasons, a lot of funny reasons. One of the reasons we raise our hand is for inspection. uh, What do you do with your little kids? Did you wash your hands? Let me see your hands. Some of you know what's next. Let me smell them. You all know what I'm saying. They just kind of, and they're done. Did you use soap? <laughs> He's a refiner fire. Ah, praise God. You see, we, we see I, I think sometimes we raise our hands for inspection. Are, are my hands clean? You've you got to come clean into the presence of God. You can come to church any way you want to come, but you really can't come into the presence of God with unclean hands. 
Oh, and it's a simple thing to get cleansed. It's a simple thing to get it under the blood. It's a simple thing to say, God, forgive me. Cleansed. The fourth word is faithful. We're going to talk about this. It's not, a, it's not enough just to be saved. We need to be disciples. Okay, the fifth word is love. We need to love one another. We are family. We, we come together. I keep getting ahead of myself. Are you okay out there? I, I like it when people, say, when people criticize the church and they say, well, they just don't act like family. What they really mean is they didn't get their way. Listen, when you say the church should be a family, what, what they mean is that everybody doesn't love me like they're supposed to. Why don't you look at your own family? Because family is more than just loving each other, doing that. It's correcting each other. Family's daddy saying, you're not doing that. If you're living under my roof, families don't always get along. Families fuss, but they're still family. Amen. You can't pick your family, and you can't pick who comes through those doors. You need to love who you need to love whoever gets born into the family. Anybody helping me today? Yeah, you gotta love them. I, I tease people sometimes. They say, say, you know, I say, I say, I love you. I have to in order to go to heaven. But it needs to be more than that. <laughs> the sixth word is good works. We we, we we Protestants we get we, we're so afraid of good works. Why are you afraid of good works? We were created. The Bible says for good works. We need to be doing good works, not to earn salvation, but we need to do them because we love Him. Amen. Because where there's a there's a mission. Amen. There's a ministry. There's a method to this, and we need to do good works. And the seventh word is exhorting. Preaching to one another, encouraging one another, comforting one another, and yes, corrupting, correcting one another. There's more corrupting than there is correcting. Correcting. Well, Jesus told the Pharisees, "Y'all go, y'all go out there and get Pharisees, and they're twice the hound of hell than you were." Reproduce, you reproduce who you are. Okay, anyway. Listen, first point is this. Our assembly needs to be marked by joy. Our coming together. I need to say that for you. I know I preached on it last week. <clears throat> I could preach the same sermon four weeks in a row. Not everyone would hear it. It's a sad time. I don't know how to reach people if they don't come. But we need our assembly marked by joy. Enter the joy of the Lord. There's, we, we, we don't ever need to come through those doors with a grum belly spirit, with a complaining spirit, with a critical spirit. Well, let's see if he can preach. You know, what? It's not your job to critique me. He said, try the spirits, not try the pastor. You'll get it after a while. And the reason I say that is because people aren't coming to church anymore because they don't see any reason to come to church anymore. Some of that is not the people's fault. Some of that is the preacher's fault. I'm, I'm glad that wasn't strong. Strong amen. 
But, but if, the, if services have become dead, they've become lifeless, they've become full of tradition, and, and at the very best, they've become just about entertainment. And listen, and you still can't find anything, amen, anywhere you want. You turn on the TV, and you got like a thousand channels, and you still can't find anything, amen. How many of you were happy with three channels back in the day? We, we thought we were doing it with three channels. Then we got that fourth one. We got PBS. Woo! I mean, we thought we were doing it. Now we got a thousand channels and can't find it. We'll spend a whole half hour just click, 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 click. Come on now. It's like the more we get, the less we appreciate it. It's the law of supply and demand. The more they throw out there, the less it's worth. Amen. And I'm afraid we're just trying to compete with that spirit of entertainment out of there in the world, trying to make people happy. Amen. By the way, when it comes, oh, I'm just chasing rabbits today. Are y'all praying for me? In people, this younger generation, their whole mindset is my whole goal in life is to make my kids happy. You can't find that in the scriptures. In fact, it's not even my job to make you happy. It's not, listen, if that's all it is, is to make your children happy, even if you accomplish it, they're going to grow up and go out in the real world, and they'll find out that that's not their boss's job. It's not his job to make you happy either, amen? (laughs) Oh, y'all hearing what I'm saying. It's not your job to make your kids happy. You're not their best friend. You're not there to entertain your kids. You're there to raise them as... In the fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, come on with me now. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Don't throw, don't throw it up there yet. Too late. If you've ever read, how many remember Deuteronomy 28? Oh, famous chapter. It's the blessings and cursings chapter. And, and, and Mount Gerizim and Mount, uh, Mount uh, Ebal, I think it is. Anyway, the, these, you think of a mountain, but it's more like a huge mountain. And you got hundreds of thousands of people all there. And then you got this valley, and you got hundreds of thousands of people on the other side. Six tribes over here, six tribes over here. And, what, and, and then the Levites begin to sing. And the Levites begin to say, if you do this, you'll be cursed. And the people say, amen. If you do this, like 20 verses, all the, they list all the curses. If you do this, you're cursed. If you do this, you're cursed. If you do this, you're cursed. And they're all going, yeah, amen, amen. And I'm glad. I wouldn't want to be on the curse hill. But someone's got to say it. Sometimes i got to say it. But on the other hill, they pronounce the blessings. But if you do this. He said, if you obey the Lord, you'll be blessed in the basket. You'll be best in the field. Amen. You'll be the top and not the bottom. You'll be a lender and not a bower. And he goes through all this, 20 more verses of all the blessings of God. Amen. Curse. Can you two hills? And they would, they would talk back to each other. If you do this, you're blessed. You do this, you're cursed. Can you imagine like a million people doing this? This is just unbelievable. I hope I painted a picture for you. But after all those verses, also chapter 27, you could look at it. I mean, it just goes on and on with this. But then a weird verse just pops out in verse 47. After all the blessings and curses, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. You know what that means? We're commanded to have joy. 
It's not something you wait around for the right feeling to come. He said, you're going to be under a curse because you didn't serve the Lord with joy. And what did I say last week? The world, oh, I'll never get this right. The world <laughs> rejoices when they have joy. We have joy when we rejoice. In other words, rejoicing is a choice you make. You, you come in here and you decide to be happy or not. You decide to be joyful or not. You decide to be thankful or not. You decide to, be, to, to put a smile on your face or not. I know some of you, it's harder than others. It takes more muscles. You have to literally hold your nose. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But when you make the choice to serve the Lord with joy in the assembly as we gather together, when you, oh, come on church, when you make the choice to be glad, when you make the choice to be joyful and thankful, the joy of the Lord appears in your life. Wow. Wow. So what is this whole thing? What is this whole thing about assembly and and, and, and how did it all start? The, the meaning of, of being together and, and to gather. That's my, that's my word today, gather. And the meaning goes all the way back in the garden. You remember when, when God looked at Adam and he said, Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. How many of your wives would agree? I ain't leaving him alone, I House would be a mess. I don't know what he would do. Oh, my God. I got to watch him every minute. All right, never mind that. When God said that, most of us think about marriage, but actually it's beyond marriage. He's not just saying that a man needs a wife. He, he's saying that every one of us needs someone else. That's what he's saying. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with your theology right here. I'm going to say something that's... Just, just, just pray about it. Does that not, that, you know what that might mean? That might mean that God isn't enough. I mean, think about that. Could that be possible? I mean, didn't he say on every day of creation, it is good? And when he created man, he said, this is very good. By the way, that's before the wife was born, so there you go. Man is very good. <laughs> it, it doesn't record what Adam said when he saw Eve. Probably something like, oh, mama. <laughs> something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike me, she's got curves, you know. It's like, wow, this is really great. Oh, have a sense of humor. See, lighten up. It's okay to laugh. Do I laugh at that or do I not? I don't know. It is not good, say it is not good, for man to be alone. I mean, he had God. They walked together in the cool of the day. Adam never complained. He never complained. He never said, I'm lonely. And God didn't make a mistake. He just wasn't finished. And he said, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, God's saying, 
they need to experience amongst themselves what we in the Trinity experience. There's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Listen, this is the greatest argument for the Trinity because if God was just one person, he would have been lonely. And if he was lonely, he can't be God. So God's not lonely. He fellowships with himself. And God said, it's not good that man be alone. He needs to be able to fellowship with someone like himself, not just a wife, but a friend. It is not good that man be together. So here it is. It's not these people who say, it's just me and Jesus. You're you're wrong. I don't need anybody else. I don't need to assemble on Sunday. It's just me and Jesus. Well, that's cute. But it doesn't work. We're made for each other and God. I've used this illustration before, and I tried to find another one, but this one just fits perfectly. And it's, it's that little girl who was afraid of monsters at night, and mom kept coming in and assuring her, God's watching over you. He's not going to let any monsters get to you. And she had to go into the room three or four times, and, and finally she just said, listen, listen, dear, darling, you don't need to be afraid. God is going to take care. God loves you. And the little girl finally just looked up and says, I know, Mommy, but sometimes I just need someone with skin on. Hello. In fact, that's why he sent Jesus. <laughs> Some A God with skin on. Whew. Sometimes we just, you know, and... and and it's kind of hard to say God's not enough because we've always preached He's all you need. And, and that's, that's sort of true. But He built in a system that doesn't work unless we are together, unless we gather. Wow. How many, how many believe the rest of the church needs to hear this? Listen, when Adam sinned, it was, you know what it really was? It really was the death of relationships. Relationships died that day. Look at the curses he put on them. He says he, he, he made it more difficult to work, which affects, listen, the number one problem with marriage is the number one thing they fight over is money. <laughs> and it's hard to make money. You've got to deal with the weeds. It's affected relationships. It, it affects marriages. You remember that? Remember, uh, yeah, this is so cool. I just thought of this this morning. In Genesis 3.16, as opposed to John 3.16, in Genesis 3.16, it talks about the relationship between the man and the woman. And he said, he said it's kind of weird how it says it. It says, the desire of the woman will be to the man, and the man will want to rule over the woman. But when you break that down and really look at how that can be desired, that word desire can mean that she desires to manipulate. I know you've never seen that. She desires to manipulate the man, and the man desires to rule over her. He wants to be boss, and she wants to trick him. How many times have ladies said things like, I just make him believe it was his idea? 
See, you're laughing because you know it's right. Come on now. So, created inside marriage is a conflict. But listen, we're under grace. And those systems break down under grace. That's why Paul says there's neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. Amen. People have used scriptures like that to say women can't lead and women can't be in ministry. That's a bunch of junk because grace has removed the curse and we live under a different dynamic now. We live under a different system now. We're equal now. Amen. I understand there's somewhat, you know, there's still roles that we still live in a world of, of, that's fallen. I understand that. The curse isn't 100% lifted yet. I mean, it is theologically, theoretically, but listen, we're, we don't have to live under the curse anymore. We can be healed. Oh, I can go through all that. Raising children becomes a painful event, not just birthing them. I thought for sure I'd get an amen there. Remember the guy that came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? What is the, number one, what is the only command? What's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. Oh, sounds like there's two. He said there's two. He said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you're not going to pin me down to one. Because loving God ain't enough. I said loving God ain't enough. You've got, you've got this dimension, but you also got this dimension, and you got to love your brother, and you got to love your sister. Amen. He says there are, two command, there are two commandments that matter, not one. You can't boil it down to one. It's not just you and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. Listen, there is power, power in assembly. Love God. And love your neighbor. In, in Matthew chapter 18, are you still with me? I, I know I'm throwing stuff out here, but just, just be patient with me. Matthew 18, right? Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Going down a few other verses. Verse 18, assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. In heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen? Again, I say to you that if or, well, two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You have to assemble to get a prayer answered. For where... Or are gathered, there's my word, gathered together, we're gonna, that's another word we'll preach in a few weeks, in my name, I am there, not I will be there, not I will show up. He said, when you gather, I'm there. When you gather, I'm there. Come on now. 
And I'm not saying you can't pray individually or God can't speak to you. I'm just saying there's power. There's a special power in assembly. There's something different about Christians worshiping together than you just worshiping on your own. He said, if two will agree, I'll answer your prayer. You know what that means? That, that's, that's a lot deeper than a lot of us make it. It means you need to find yourself a prayer partner, and you need to sit down, and you need to think God will answer. Say, here's what I'm praying about. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think that's God. God's will. I think God will answer that. Do you agree with me? Yes. Well, let's pray together in the name of Jesus. There is power when two, when at least two people come together in unity and agree on a prayer. God is there. He's not going to just show up later. He said, I'm there. Come on and praise him in the house. Amen. I am there in the midst. This whole chapter is about church conflict. The whole thing is what to do when you don't get along. Jesus was no dummy. He knows how we are. We're family. We fuss. In fact, families fuss more than friends. Families fuss more than strangers. Only family can really hurt you. I want you to hear my statement. I want you to get this. The power of the church is in its assembly. I said the power of the church, based on what I just preached, the power of the church lies in its assembly. Its weakness lies in its scattering. No wonder we can't have revival. No wonder we can't experience a move of God like we want. And it doesn't necessarily mean every single one of us have to be here every single Sunday, but there seems to be a common thing that the more of us that commit to this, the more power there will be in the house. You can't just excuse it and say, well, we're two. We say, well, Bible says we're just two or three are gathered. You can't use that as an excuse for people not doing what they're supposed to do. We're supposed to assemble every Sunday. There's power in the assembly. That will change people's lives if they would get it. Blessing and curse, life and death, binding and loosing, two or three agree. By the way, that word agree is symphonia, uh, symphonio, uh, the Greek word symphonio, which we get the word symphony. Everyone has an instrument to play. Did you ever go to a concert and they're, and they're warming up before? That's the way church is sometimes on Sunday morning. Well, it's just me and Jesus. I'm just doing my own thing. Jesus, help us. But all of a sudden, the conductor goes, I think I should start every service with. Let's come together. You got the paper in front of you, the Word of God. Read out of the book, and everyone play your instrument. Do your part. Let there be a symphony. Let there be a symphony. Blessing. Cursing. When we come together, there's a blessing. When we push each other away, there's a curse. You're not going to like what. Come here, Joey. I need someone to push around. 
<laughs> Wrong choice, right? Ron, come here, come here. You may not like this, but consider it, all right? Blessing, cursing. All right. Whenever I bring you in, it's blessing. Amen? Understand what I'm saying? But when I push you away, assembly, rejection, isolation. Yeah, but you don't know what he did. doesn't matter what he did. It's about what you do. So he didn't treat me right. I don't care. Now, he may, he may not reciprocate, but that's on me. I mean, that's on you if you don't reciprocate. But I'm, I'm saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm isolating you. I'm pushing you away. There's a disconnect. There's a destruction of relationship. There's blessings that can't come now. And if blessings aren't coming, what's left? Curses. Can I say this very boldly? Every time you push someone away, you're cursing them. Lord, I got quite a few amens, but not everybody. It was stronger over here, weaker over here. I don't know. Come on. Don't push me away. <laughs> I mean, if you can get that concept, it will change your life. We assemble. We gather. We pull each other in. And, and Jesus says, when you do that, I am there. So when you push away... He's not there. Wow, think about that. If I push you away, where's Jesus? If I push you, why do I keep picking up big guys? (laughs) We're all in the front row. Intimidating, I tell you. You got to preach to you guys. When When you push away, Jesus is not there. Yeah, I don't care. It's just me and Jesus. Oh, really? There are two commandments. I said there are two commandments. I'll preach. I don't know if that's biblical. All right, all right. I could prove this any number of ways, but the best way I know is when Jesus hung on the cross. What did it say about Jesus? It said Jesus, he didn't, he didn't, people always say, oh, he carried my sin. Brother, he did more than carry your sin. The Bible said he became sin. The man who never sinned became sin. You know, it go, let's go even further. You know what else it says? It said he became a curse. It didn't say he was cursed because of your sin. He said he became a curse. He became a curse. Now listen, what did the father do when he hung on the cross? Did I just prove my point? He's not there. God's not there when there's sin in a relationship. <sighs> he became a curse. That was, so God rejected him. Wow. You don't think that was a moment? The emotion of that moment actually made the sun blot out. It split the veil in the Oh, are are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Blessing, curse, life and death in the tongue, binding, loosing, 
two or three. When we come together, we bless each other. When we isolate or reject, we curse each other. The power is in our assembly. Say it with me. The power is in the assembly. One last illustration. The praise team can come and maybe I'll slow down. No, quick. I'll speed up. Acts chapter 1. You all know the story, but let me read the story. Acts chapter 1. Being assembled. Say assembled. There's my word. Gathered. Being gathered together with them. Jesus wouldn't speak to them unless they came together. Oh, I could prove this so many ways. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. You know the story. For John truly baptized the water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Right, Pentecostals? Come on, Pentecostals. Therefore, when they had come together, when they came, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Mm -hmm. And he said to them, it's not your business. Next verse. <laughs> but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth all the way to Baro, Alaska, and Peru. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, and then it lists everyone there. For people who say, you know, it's not about numbers, well, they, they, they listed most of the 120 or some of the 120. They put their names up there. I want you to see some tire. Could not, could not the Lord have just baptized them in the Holy Ghost individually as they walked around the city? You know, Peter, James, I mean, they're all just walking around doing their daily thing or, or in prayer. They're all just, they could say what we say, now go home and pray. Jesus didn't say go home and pray. He said gather. He could have sent the Holy Ghost on each one individually as they were walking around Jerusalem. And then they would have come together because they had a common experience. That's kind of the way it works nowadays. But he said, no, you come together first, and then I'll send a common experience. All 100, how many know there was more than 120 followers of Jesus? Come on now. It's the remnant. Not everyone's going to find this unity. Not everyone's going to agree with my message this morning. Not everyone's going to say, they just want to do their thing. They want, they, you know, uh, I'm this, I'm that. Whatever your problem, you, you hear what I'm saying. Uh, we, we just, we just we, especially in America, we're all, you know, it's about individuality. Well, we all just want to go our separate way. We pray for revival, but we won't love our brother. There are two commandments. He said, come together. He didn't tell them to pray. He didn't tell them to have church. Now, from, uh, from, from uh, 1030 in the morning until noon every day for 10 days, I went, no. He didn't tell them what to do. He just said, go to get, come together. Be together. Gather. Just gather. If you'll gather and wait on me, I'll send the power. 
Come on, you all understand what I'm saying? There's power in the assembly. Just gathering has power. They were all in one place. They were all in one place. Wow. Acts chapter 2, you know the rest of the story. And the Holy Ghost fell. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. It's time we understand the power of assembly. At the very least, we need to get this DVD or CD, whatever we're giving away. Get this in every one of our partners' hands, don't we? Don't you think everyone needs to hear this? Take up an offering. Will you pay for that? Yeah, don't worry. I'm just kidding. We ought to get this in everyone's hand, and we need to make a commitment. There's, there's all can't always be here. I understand that. There are work schedules. There's, there's all kinds of mess going on, but some of that is just plain I'm bored with church. Some of that's just I've got more important things to do. Someone say, well, my family. No, your family doesn't come before God. Your family may come before some of the things you do in church. I understand that. But it doesn't come before church. It doesn't come before your assembly. Uh, I think they disagree, but I'm going to preach it anyway. I know preachers will use, oh, you got to put God first. Therefore, you have to, you know, you have to sweep this carpet and it doesn't matter what you're, no, 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 don't, don't neglect your family. But when it comes to the assembly, yeah. Because our power, our strength is in our assembly. Don't misunderstand me, but we are the assembly of God. Not just the church. <laughs> it's time we commit to the assembling of ourselves together. In some way, somehow, at some point, we're going to have you just actually put your name to paper and say, I'm committed to this. Sometimes you're really sick. I don't know. Sometimes when you're sick, maybe you ought to be in the house of God. You know? Don't, don't get close to anyone to shake hands, fist bump, but, but sometimes you just need to be in the house of God when you're sick. And, and there's vacations, and there's all kinds of reasons for not being here, but it seems like people have just gone crazy with the excuses. I mean, was it really that bad outside this morning? Did you really even have to clean your car off? I mean, it's just a dusting of snow. I know it's cold. Oh, my God, we're not coming to church because it's cold. I remember having a foot of snow in Minnesota and my dad putting chains on. The, and that, that happened a lot. He put chains on the car. We went to church. We're going to church. Of course, they were motivated by guilt, but they were going. It's not because it was an awesome experience. Hello, believe me, you talk about boring. I got my best daydreaming done in church. I mean, I knew, I day. oh my God, could I daydream in church? Whew. 
It wasn't about that. It was maybe for the wrong reasons, but we have a good reason. How many realize, as pastor, I don't try to guilt you into things. You need to do it because you want to do it, because you're convicted to do it, because you're convinced it's the right thing to do. And things can run a little smooth if I, if I would heap guilt on you and constantly make you feel bad for not doing what you know you should be doing. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is your conscience, not your pastor. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to, I'm here to preach the truth to you. And it's time we understand that, the, that our power, our power lies in our unity and our power lies in our gathering. He said, if you gather, I'll be there. And if you push each other away, I won't be there. Stand to your feet if you agree.